I will forewarn you, it's not going to be a Christmas message. <laughs> Topical textual probably is the best way to describe it. Turn to Galatians chapter 2. As you're turning there, Eddie, you're going to die. Jonathan, so are you. And Jaron, you're going to die. And even the healthiest people on campus are nursing department over here. As a matter of fact, all of you are going to die. Short of the rapture, that's a reality. And that is a good thing. It really is. Tuck that back here for a few minutes. I will try to prove that point to you. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Our human view of death is fraught with fear and dread. We associate death with everything that is negative and seldom with any positive frame of reference. We do so primarily because we look at death in terms of loss, not gain. And if you live long enough, you're going to lose people you love. And that loss will weigh heavily upon your heart. But that human view is frankly contrary to the teaching of Scripture, at least when it comes to the death of believers. Believers need not fear death. As a matter of fact, you're really not prepared to live until you're prepared to die. And we have been delivered from the fear of death. According to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, For as much then... As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality, that death is going to be swallowed up in victory. So for the believer, death is not loss. It is amazing, unspeakable gain. Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now for some of us, we see that gain as a means of escape from some form of extreme suffering or difficulty. But actually, for the believer, every form of death is a means of deliverance and 
freedom. And I want to preach for a few minutes this morning on the freedom of death. Because the freest people on the earth are those who are dead. That was the intent of Paul's words in Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Because to be dead in Christ, to be crucified with Christ, and therefore to be hidden in Christ is true freedom. There are four areas in which that there is freedom in death. And the first one is freedom from the tyranny of sin. You know that's what's wrong with our world. You know that's why all the agony in Ukraine this morning. That's happening because of sin. You say that's happening because of a sinner. That's happening because of a lot of sinners. A lot of the things that we wrestle with in our world. So many people. I'm told we're approximating 8 billion people on this planet, most of whom are absolutely shackled by their sin. And that's the greatest tyranny of all tyrannies. We're born with the effects of original sin, consequently with the fallen nature, and we live in a world that is dominated by sin. How shall we escape the dominion of sin in our lives? Well, we go back to Colossians 3. Again, at verse 3, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then ye shall appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience, into which ye also walked sometime, when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, Christ is all and in all. You see, since you're in Christ, it is possible for you to mortify the sin that's in your members. That literally means to put it to death. We have the possibility of putting off the old man and putting on the new man renewed in the knowledge of him. Being dead in Christ means Christ is all and in all, and we're hid with him. Our identity is lost in his. Now, I honestly don't have time to work my way verse by verse 
through the sixth chapter of Romans. But if you want to turn there, I just want to point out some verses and just kind of stair-step down through that chapter because this is really what Paul is talking about. He begins with, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 3, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, end of verse 4, so that we should walk in newness of life. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is, present tense, crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 11 Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. You do not have to live under the tyranny of any sin. That's far more profound than any of us realize this morning. Verse 18. Being then made free from sin. Verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God. The eternal life which God gives encompasses freedom from the tyranny of sin. Every believer in this room, and we all demonstrate this regularly, every believer in this room has the possibility of sin. But none of us have the necessity of sin. If we sin, it's because we choose to do so. It's because we choose to take hold of those old chains again because we choose to listen to the death rattle in the throat of the godless instead of the glorious liberty of the sons of light. I don't know where we ever got the strange, aberrant theology, misreading the book of Hebrews, that every one of us has a besetting sin, we just can't help it. That's not true. That's not even what that passage is talking about. The idea that there's some kind of a weakness or a need or a failure or a propensity or, if you listen to the world, a bad gene in your DNA, and you just have this susceptibility and it's yours almost uniquely, and though you you wrestle with it, you're unhappy with it, but you just have to face the reality, that's your besetting sin. There's nothing scriptural about that. If that is true in your life, it's because of choices you're making. Because Jesus Christ died to make you free from the tyranny of sin. And by the way, in the estimation of God, there are no big sins and small sins. I was nine years old when I came to Christ. I'd never been out in the world. 
but I want you to know that my sin crucified the Savior. That's not small. So dying in Christ, crucified with Christ, brings freedom from the tyranny of sin. Second is freedom from the tyranny of self. You know who my biggest enemy is? Not even the devil. He doesn't even need any help. My biggest enemy is me. My biggest problem is me. My biggest burden is the self-life. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I The self-life of the believer is such that we are so easily taken up with what we want, what we think, what we feel. Have you ever said, well, I, I feel like... I'm not minimizing your burdens in your thinking, but the reality is it really doesn't matter how you feel when it comes to what is true. And we're not supposed to be living that way. And nothing is more counterproductive and tyrannizing than living in yourself for yourself. It is a bondage which drives most believers Being dead to sin means there is also the possibility of being dead to self. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The problem with being a living sacrifice, which is what we're all commanded to do and be, is the fact that it's still alive and it keeps crawling off the altar. Anybody else have that problem? I just, I put him up there just yesterday. What is this? Question. What is a living sacrifice if not a living dead man? And what rights does a man, dead man, What are the rights of a sacrifice? Can you imagine when Abraham took that ram that was caught by his horns in the thicket and put it on that altar in the place of Isaac, his son? Can you imagine the ram saying, I don't think I like this. Don't you think there might be somebody else 
Besides that, I have my rights. We have become so consumed with our rights in this country that we have forgotten that we gave up our rights as Christians to Jesus Christ. If we're dead, if we're hidden in Christ, we must not be concerned about our rights. We ought to be more concerned about our privileges, which far outweigh our rights. Christ enthroned in your heart means self must be dethroned. You must come to the prayer of our Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine. Because life is not about you. And you will never know true liberation until you get over yourself and stop making life about you. Because people who live for themselves are in bondage and are anything but happy. Romans chapter 15, Paul said, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Can you not see the freedom that would be yours if you could get up every morning of your life not concerned about trying to please Yourself? Can you not see how focused and simple your life becomes when it no longer matters what you want? When all that matters is what does God want? What does God want for me today? In this place. So the freedom of death is the freedom from the tyranny of sin. It's freedom from the tyranny of self. And it's freedom from the tyranny of possessions. Part of the battle with the self-life is the basic materialism that is so endemic in our world. most of the financial problems that most people have are the result of a materialistic spirit in one way or the other. There are exceptions. Things happen. But as I have said it until it is hackneyed, too many of God's people buy things that they do not need and cannot afford to impress people that they do not like. Really? Do you really need iPhone 121st? (laughs) Does the world come to an end because 
the latest thing that is trotted out by Hollywood as the fashion of the day, is it yours? While a certain amount of material benefit is obviously necessary to life, most of the material benefits we seek after are actually the extras and not altogether necessary at all. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 12. Let me ask you something. What does a dead man own? Pile up all your stocks and bonds and houses and cars and clothes and silver and gold and uranium and titanium and whatever else is deemed to be valuable today. Pile it all up. Put it, your name on it. And let, ask God to let you look over the battlements of heaven 15 seconds after you die and see who has it. It will not be you. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then he gave that parable of that rich man who had so much, he said, I'll pull down my barns and build greater. I will say to myself, soul, thou hast much goods laid up. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, thou fool, this night thy life will be forfeit. And who shall these things be which thou hast provided So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Instead of multiplied goods becoming a source of freedom, they typically become a source of bondage. I have met a few genuinely wealthy people that their money did not spoil them. But they've been very few. It seems the more we have, the less secure we become. The more we have, the more we think we need. Instead of being able to serve God with the blessings that he's given to us, the rich man becomes bound to serve himself and often those goods. How different is this from the stewardship mindset in the early church in Acts chapter 2? When there was genuine need, they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now listen, I am not suggesting, and neither is the Bible, that it is wrong to have a private possession of material things. The issue is not who's holding it, it's who owns it. Because as believers... We don't own it. We're stewards of it. And ultimately, the possessions are God's. The dead man transfers ownership to God and is liberated from the bondage to the property. Instead, he becomes a manager of God's goods and lives to invest those things for God's use and God's glory. So there's freedom from the tyranny of sin and freedom from the tyranny of self and freedom from the tyranny of possessions. And I've got one more for you. It is freedom from the tyranny of public 
opinion. Far too many believers worship at the shrine of popular opinion. They'd rather be appreciated than be right. We must understand that the dead man is unimpressionable. In a lot of years of pastoring, I've done roughly 150 funerals. Nothing I said impressed anyone in the coffin. Nothing I did bothered them. Nothing I failed to do or failed to say had any impact upon them whatsoever. They didn't care. Why do we care so much? Why does the opinion of our peers trump the desires of God? The freedom to serve God without constant second-guessing human opinion is truly liberating. To get up every morning and understand the only thing that I have to do today is do right. That's all I have to do today. Do the right thing. If my roommate doesn't like it, I'm sorry for him. But it doesn't change anything. If I don't like it, it doesn't matter. I don't matter. I just need to do right. Paul understood this truth in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 4, But as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory. Neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Would you be controlled by Scripture, by the Holy Spirit, or human opinion? Would you labor to be acceptable to men instead of God? Do you not realize that being outside the camp bearing the reproach of Christ is far greater liberty than being courted, praised, and controlled by men who know not God? as frustrated as I get with politicians regularly. I am often reminded to feel sorry for them because John Q. Public is fickle. And what he hails today, he'll curse tomorrow. And the worst thing that ever happened in America was an opinion poll. What a way to live your life. Constantly measuring the response of people who more likely than not neither know God nor His Word or have any desire whatsoever to please Him. To die to self 
and to live to Christ completely revolutionizes your life. The freedom to live in Christ apart from the world, how much of that freedom have you and do you experience on a regular basis? Our time is gone. We can't work through 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and following, but Paul talked about always bearing in the body the dying of Christ. Verse 11 of that chapter, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. But he concludes it by saying, For our light affliction worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory, because we look for things, not on things which are seen, but on things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Further, as we reckon ourselves to be crucified with Christ and living by the faith of the Son of God, we do what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, we die daily. Every time that living sacrifice crawls down off that altar and we become aware of it, it's time to step aside and die again. Because in dying, we truly live. Let's pray. Father, I know this is totally enigmatic preaching to the unbeliever because the material world and the self-life is all he knows. But to those of us who know Christ, we know what it means to live on a plane that transcends this veil of tears and transcends the foolishness, more importantly, The truth makes us free. We are the truly free people of the world. And for that, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.